As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, friends. Have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we still may struggle in our intimate relationships? Yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational practices and support from trusted allies. While my husband Mark and I have a great marriage, we would turn to relationship experts to give advice. In episode 315, I brought on the founders of the relationship school, Jason and Ellen. They live and breathe all things relational, boundaries, conflict, owning your needs, attachment styles, and so much more. If you want to learn how to work through conflict better and communicate better, Jason is offering 50% off his indestructible partnerships course. Thousands of people have changed their relationships for the better with this course. Go to relationshipschool.com backslash Laura and use the coupon code Laura to get 50% off this life-changing course. Now on to the podcast. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have Pishi Azadi on here today. She is a mindset and success coach. She's also a yoga teacher, and we talk about her journey into yoga, her troubled and traumatic past, and how she has now become a happy and well-balanced person and wants to share this in her Dare to Live program. Please enjoy this conversation. I so much enjoyed it. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have a new friend, Pishy, on with me today. Welcome, Pishy. Hi, Lara. Super excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you. It's always fun to talk with other yoga teachers. I know you're more than a yoga teacher. You really consider yourself like a kind of transformative coach of sorts. And I love to hear the pathway that people take in getting to yoga and then deciding, of course, to teach it. I was reading some of your background and we were speaking, 
But I would love for you to talk a little bit about how your early roots were formative and how you've really uh, transformed from those early roots in Tehran, which sounds like a very challenging, difficult time. Can you speak a little bit about that time period and how you escaped it and then have gotten to where you are today? Sure. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Tehran in a time that was still very beautiful and full of freedom and, and fun and joy, the country that was when, when it was the kingdom. And when I was six, and, and thankfully also to mention, I was born into a not at all religious family. So my mom, she used to wear bikini. I have still pictures with my dad at the beach. She still does. Um, they, they went dancing. They, they drank. They had parties. So, and from that lifestyle, all of a sudden, when I was six, the Islamic revolution happened, which was a really 180 degrees change in our lifestyle and in the way that we should have acted back then. So the first thing I remember, it was that we had to wear hijab all of a sudden, like even me as a six-year-old at school. And of course, not to mention the older women. Everything else was forbidden. Everything that basically we were doing, like parties, dancing, drinking, having family over, it was all forbidden. And talking to boys, I mean, having boyfriends, girlfriends, all of a sudden it was a super conservative, like really super conservative country, which nowadays, apparently, I haven't been there now for ages, but nowadays, apparently, it's a little bit even freer than back then when it happened, you know? So it was... And this this happened kind of overnight, like... Yeah, it was... I remember I was six years old, but I still remember all that demonstrations going on on the streets and people like going and, and screaming that we don't want the king anymore and uh, we want something liberal and, and uh, Islamic and whatever. Well, if you look at the history of Iran, not that I want to say it, but what I want to say, if you look at the history of the country of Iran, in the last hundred years, there has been always this similar movements over and over, okay? So the, the conservative party always wanted to win, but it was kind of not successful and not big and powerful enough until 1979. And they then they, they took over, you know? And it was, it was a couple of weeks and months, and then all of a sudden, one morning you wake up and they say, gladly the king is escaping the country, and uh, now Ayatollah Khomeini is in charge. So I can't even tell you what a shock it was. I mean, I was a kid, but I remember my parents' faces. <laughs> that was that was a trauma for them, you know? Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, even as a six-year-old, I'm sure you were able to witness the shift in the energy of the culture from a much more free place to this incredibly oppressive environment. It must have been frightening, I would imagine. It was very frightening, especially because when it started with having uh, Islamic hijab for the school, and as a kid, when you are not used to it, you would forget it one day, you wouldn't have it, and you were punished, of course, at school over and over. And then I used to go to, to mixed school, so boys and girls were together, and all of a sudden it was separated. So we were girls only, and if we talked to the boys on the other side of the fence, it was basically like a crime, you know what I'm saying? So, And also imagine that the worst part is my parents started telling me, you have to lie from today. You must 
When you go to school, if they ask you, do you have alcohol at home? You say no. If they ask you, is your mother wearing hijab? You say yes. You know, so basically I had to lie. I grew up with lying. Lying for survival. (laughs) Exactly. So the opposite of every good education and upbringing. Yeah, lie, my kid, lie as much as you can. So that was a trauma and that got worse, of course, the more uh, we went through this time and the older I got, because then there are other stuff come, come into place. You want to party, you want to drink, you want to put makeup on, you want to have a boyfriend. And these are all big, big crimes, like super big crimes. And, and then I was arrested. I can't even tell you how many times for things that would be that everybody would laugh at it when I when I tell you that, yeah, I was a party. I was arrested. They, they caught me on the street with my boyfriend. I was arrested. And I was imprisoned several times in a real jail, not in a somewhere in a police. No, no, no. In a real jail with staying overnight in stuff like that. The worst one was when when we were caught in a party and I had to spend there in jail alone three days a night. Mm. And then your parents had to come and pay pay money and then they would release you at some point. How did this change your parents? Did they become different in their parenting? Um, Yes. Well, first of all, they divorced. Mm. I think the pressure, I don't want to say that was the only reason. The, The relationship was obviously not strong enough beforehand, but this pressure, it puts so much pressure on both of them, this change. And basically they were, my father, for example, he was funny enough, he was working with Americans. He was working in the American embassy and also uh, beforehand in Pan American Airline back then. So he was arrested because he was working with axes of evil. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. he lost everything. He had 14 years uh, length of service. They turned it into zero. He lost his job. He lost his money. My mother had the pressure of this now man-dominated Islamic uh, atmosphere in her. uh, She's an accountant, a very good one. And she had now that pressure from, from her employer. So basically, it was so much. It was too much for them. They separated. They separated. And they got, I would say, especially my mother as a woman, which makes sense because it it is always easier for men in these types of countries. But for a woman where you have to go through all this man-dominated mentality and wear hijab and be always under, you know, beneath the the men, my mother became very angry. Uh, she, She developed a super angry personality, very desperate. She was struggling for survival as a single mother with me. I mean, of course, my father was paying, but it was not enough, you know, and she was not a good mother at all, at all. I would say probably she was never a good mother to begin with, also in the past. You know how things intensify your real personality. So it was not that she turned from an angel to evil. She generally was very much exhausted with this motherhood thing. And um, this put an extra pressure on her. So I went through hell, both sides, outside of the house and inside the house. Wow. And so when did you decide, I need to get out of here? (laughs) 
I need to get out of this country. I need to get out of this house. And I need to get independence back in all the ways. Exactly. I knew it since I was almost like, I would say 11, 12, but it was very weak back then still. I think it got stronger when I started being an individual with, I would say in the age of 14, when I felt like a woman for the first time, I felt that I'm interested in being uh, in parties, having boyfriends, getting attention. I mean, I was very smart back then. I was not bad looking. So I understood that I could have more than this suppressed type of life, you know? And I knew with 14, this is, this is definitely not, not going to be my life here. And I just didn't know how. I was going to say, how does one leave? Like literally, was it hard to leave the country? It was very hard to leave the country because we were not allowed to have passports where we were, but we could only, there were only two countries that were free for travel for Iranians. It was Turkey and Dubai. That was it. All other countries, you needed a visa and nobody wanted to let Iranians into their country. So you never got a visa. So what I did is thankfully a part of my family was in the United States already. So my my uncles, aunts and everything, I have family that have been here, even they immigrated before the revolution. So because one of my aunts, for example, she was a celebrity, TV celebrity in Iran. I mean, everybody knows her. So she knew before the revolution happened, she knew that she has to escape. Otherwise, she would be killed. And she is still, I mean, they put all these things that if these people ever come back to the country, they will be executed. So my aunt is one of them. And they escaped. They were already here. But what happened to me, which was the universe did it for me. I was counting on my family to try to get a green card for me. Okay, that part of the family. And they wanted to. It's not that they did not really want to help me, but it was a very difficult process to bring someone out of Iran. You know, once you're in, you're in. But bringing someone again, so it was difficult. So what happened is I went on a trip with my girlfriend to Dubai. That was, as I said, one of the places we could go. The year before I went to Turkey and the year after I went to Dubai. And and then I met a beautiful, handsome young man. And we got into a relationship And at some point we got married. So my first husband is a German guy. We went in Dubai and he told me, listen, your process of getting green card can take up to six years. And I knew it back then. Why don't you just come to Europe with me? And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. So that was it. So that was how I got to Europe. But as I said, eventually I would have another, I would have found another way, but it was the expressway, so to say. I love that. So you end up in Germany, married at this point. And I was reading how you just learn German, which I cannot imagine is an easy feat at all. German is a challenging language, but were you just gifted at learning languages or determined or all of the above? Yeah. uh, Well, uh, first of all, definitely I am good at learning languages. And one of my also side studies in the university I learned languages. So I already knew Spanish and Russian and English. So a fourth language or the fifth one, actually, after Persian, it was not that difficult to learn. I managed very well. And I also was very interested generally in German culture and German language. I always felt the connection there. Ever since I was a child, I always watched German movies and 
stuff like that. So basically, I woke up one day and I ended up where I belonged to. And for the first time, I thought, wow, I was really born in the wrong country. This is where I should be. So yeah, it was it was amazing. How many years were you in Germany? Um, well, I was in Germany from 96 to 2015. However, this is the amount of years that I was basically very much still connected to Germany. In between, I was traveling a lot. So I was three years in London. I was a year in Dubai. I was in Japan and Hong Kong for a couple of years. So I was constant, but I always kept the relationship very close to Germany because my work, the mother house, everywhere I work, it was still in Germany. So I was working in different subsidiaries of different uh, companies all around the world. And then 2015 was the day that I came to the United States and basically never went back really. Wow. So in all these travels and this work and this global, really, like you said, you identify as being kind of a global belonging to all the countries. When did you start to go in the path of the practice of yoga? And what did that do in unearthing any of these past traumas or just real hardships and heartaches that you had had in your earlier years? Sure. So my first contact with yoga was a book that I read when I was 19, and it was called The Life of Buddha. And uh, it actually got me all of this about enlightenment and stuff. So Buddha as a person really was very interesting for me. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do yoga and meditation. So I started doing also in Iran, there were classes, doing some yoga classes here and there, but it was not a really a pattern there. There was not a real reputation and and a yeah. So it was more fun. And then I did it and did it and did it until I was 31, where I really so and let me tell you on the side, I was always a depressed person due to the past trauma, all this childhood trauma, also not a very loving mother, at least a mother that could not show the love. It doesn't mean she didn't have it. So, and many things that I went through, I always had that underlying unsatisfaction and depression. And I very much relied on every party, relied on alcohol and, you know, drugs and stuff to just get myself out of the real, you know, out of that depression and a depressive state and being happy. So when I was 31, I knew intellectually and mentally that this is not the life I want to have forever. Financially, I was doing very good in Germany back then. I had a great job. I had enough money, but it didn't make me happy. I was still always struggling to be happy most of the time. So when I was 31, I'm like, you know what? Let me just do more and more yoga and do it more intense because I felt it every time I do it, even if it's sporadically, it calms me down. It makes me happy. So I thought maybe if I do it more, let's see, let's observe what happens. So I started doing it more and more intense. I really signed up and committed to a course. And after I think a couple of months and observing how good it is for me and for my mental state, I decided to do the yoga teacher training. So I signed up. That was through Yoga Vidya. 
and uh, they basically follow the um, Swami Shivananda method. I even signed up to live in the ashram and I basically went there and lived in the ashram with real, real yogis from India, the ones that who have lived in caves before and even with the direct um direct student of Swami Shivananda when he was still alive. So he was the founder of that uh, yoga video ashram, which was which had a connection. It was Germany and Hong Kong. And I lived there the longest time I lived there was eight weeks or two months. I went through all the real exercises, hours of meditation, Ayurvedic, um, basically nutrition. And I'm telling you, Lara, the first time I came out of there after eight weeks, I was a different person. I really was. And eight weeks was were long enough to let that transformation happen. Because one day, two days, three days is still, you know. But when you live there eight weeks and really do what they tell you, because I was committed. Like when they said no smoking, no drinking allowed, no, I really did it. You know, many of the students, they had back in the room cigarettes and everything. I'm like, no, if I do it, I'm going to do it. And no meat, you know. Every, so I really committed to every single principle. And I came out of the ashram. It was just the part one of the yoga teacher training. Physically and mentally, you couldn't recognize me. Different body, different mind. And that was the beginning of my self-healing journey. Mm, that's gorgeous. And did you know at that point that this is something I really want to share because it's it's helped me so much. I feel like a lot of people who do trainings, I would say 50% of them are doing for just their own growth, their own knowledge. And then often, even those 50% decide like, this is too good to not want to share. Did you come out of there immediately thinking, I want to teach this? To be frank, no. I used to be, when I was younger, I was very self-centered and very egoistic person. So I cared a lot about myself and what's happening with me. And also because I was not a happy person, I was very much willing to heal myself first. So I was, all my attention was more on me. So the thought, the thought of sharing was not really that much on my mind. Of course, I was very enthusiastic about the results and I shared it with, with my friends. I'm like, do you want me to show you? Do you want me to teach you? But it was not more in the very loving and giving way like I'm today. I changed a lot in the past 10 years, I would say. I, I really came to understand that we are all one. I mean, I know it sounds like a cliche, but and I really learned that everything that I do in order to make myself a happy person it's still not enough. I have to care for other people and their happiness too. And this is basically what got stronger, this understanding in the past decade, to be honest with you. And, and more and more I got, okay, serving self is great. And we have to, I have to start serving, uh, serving others too. And that was also one reason why I at some point quit the corporate job, because I was not really serving in the way I wanted. I was actually serving the company, to be <laughs> honest about it, you know. And now I really, this is really my number one goal. I want to make myself and others happy. I love that. But I do think what you said is important that you needed to do your own work first. What I often talk about in my teacher trainings is 
so many women in particular, they put themselves kind of on the bottom of the list. And some of that is just cultural and condition that, you know, you have to take care of your family, you have to do this, the house and all that. And then if you have time, go do the things that you need to fill up your cup. When in reality, it should be the reverse. We really should take care of ourselves so that we can be of service to those around us, to our immediate family, our surroundings, but then also in a more global way. In that regard, how are today, like how do you fill up your cup? Like what is your kind of prescription for that? I would say, first of all, I urge everyone to basically just get to know yourself. You know, it sounds very easy, but I see it over and over in my conversations with clients. There are so many adults out there, beautiful people with beautiful minds, but they don't have really a self-knowledge. They don't really know themselves. Very often when I ask them questions and I say, okay, what is it exactly that you want for your future? They don't even really know, you know? And uh, I think it all begins with, with learning about ourselves and getting to know ourselves. Also, what I recommend very much that I also remind myself every day to do the power of gratitude, really. We always tend to lose sight of what we have and always focus on what we don't. And there are billions of things that we don't have, you know, because there is no limit. And I, even me, every morning I have to remind myself, hey, just don't forget, you know, you have something to eat, you're happy, you're healthy, you have a ceiling over your head and stuff like that, you know, friends, family, whatever. And also what I think is very important is, which is very related also with the gratitude, is the power of the present moment and not so much focus on the future over uh, basically, or on the past, doesn't matter, over plan the future, focus on the past. Just be here and now and don't forget that we. this is the only thing we have. This moment, this very moment that me and you, we are talking, this is the only thing I have. I don't need to, in the back of my mind, think, where is my next appointment? What am I going to do tonight or eat tonight? I think that is something also that is very helpful. And as we both talked about it, really the love to yourself and to others, they only work together. In my mm-hmm. opinion, the purpose of us being in this world is being happy and live life to the fullest. But it's only possible if we understand that we have to serve ourselves and others. Beautiful. I agree wholeheartedly. So in terms of that ability to really be present, I'm curious, what tools would you offer people who say, I just, I have such a hard time not thinking about the to-do list or not just being caught up in the stuff that happened in the past that's still tethering me down. What kind of tools do you give those people or would you recommend? And maybe that you practice yourself. Sure. I have the same problem. I mean, guilty of all charges. I get so caught up sometimes Especially when I'm angry, I always tend to, when I'm upset or angry at something, I always tend to say, yeah, this is the pattern because as a child, I was, it's exactly like almost I am justifying myself. Just, to myself. Exactly. The excuse, is al- the excuse is always readily there, especially when you really have had some major shit happen. You can always say, well, this is the reason or this is because of that. 
it doesn't really serve anything to just have that reason. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So what I think that helps me a lot is meditation. And I understand because I have it with some clients, people that they say, I cannot do this classic meditation. I cannot sit down. But then there are so many, I'm sure you know it better than anyone too. There are so many different types of meditation. You know, I tell them, you know, when you're taking the shower, just listen to the water falling down on you or feel that beautiful warm water on your skin. This is also a meditation. Not everybody, of course, can can do the, the typical and the the um the basically the uh, classic meditation. That, however, helped me a lot. I have been going through long periods of meditation and everything needs practice. So I still urge everyone to try it again, even though it feels like it's not working. I thankfully got it through that living in an ashram. And sometimes we had to meditate for a whole hour, you know, so that really got me into it. Also, I think one thing that helps me personally is focusing something on something around me. Like as soon as I get caught up, like, oh my gosh, I have to pay bills and I don't know how to come up with the money for that. So I really pick something. Let's say if I have flowers in the house or I look out of the window and look at the view outside or someone is just, you know, walking by with a dog and I immediately shift my focus on something that is around me and try to understand the beauty of it and really focus. And everything, if you look at it, has a meaning and a beauty. And I think this also helps you really instantaneously shift your focus. There are also many other ways, like having mantras, repeating things to yourself, you know, saying like, I am here and now, I'm here and now. So there are obviously a lot of different methods, but I think, again, to everyone who says I've tried everything, it doesn't work, I would say practice, practice, practice. Yes, you're right. If something is frustrating you, that's all it's doing. That doesn't mean that you are not able to do it eventually. It is every, I mean, life is a practice. You know, when I, when we're, we're on the mat, I'll say, this is, this is like, we are practicing for life. This is a life lesson right here. And we need to continue that, never stop that because we're always learning and growing and evolving. So can you talk a little bit about the offerings that you have with all of your background and your assimilation of all these different gifts and tools? Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes, sure. So Because I have degrees in different things, I studied psychology, I'm also a personal trainer, yoga teacher, and a nutrition coach, I try to offer a holistic practice. So I tell people, listen, for example, if someone comes to me and say, well, I only need to lose fat, I don't need anything, any psychology, I don't need anything else, I say, well, losing fat is actually... 20% a diet and 80% in your mind, you know, how you want to start the journey and how you want to commit to this journey throughout your life. Because starting a diet is easy peasy. You're motivated. You have still a lot of fat. You're energetic. And then you see this immediate results and you're happy. You keep going. But what about in two years? Are you still in the same state of mind? Like, like when you started. So I urge people to do this holistic training with me. I have a special course. It's called Six Unique Steps to Sustainable Health, Success, and Happiness. 
It's an eight-week course. It's beautiful. It's very intense, very intense, a lot of work, but the, the results are amazing. However, of course, meanwhile, I have also clients who only do yoga with me. I have clients who only do personal training with me. I just try to, of course, bring my my um, knowledge and everything that I have from my background also into that. Even, even if it's only nutrition, I really try to bring the psychology in or also with personal training yoga, same thing, because you know it better than anyone, Laura, mind and body are connected. You cannot nurture only only one. When you go on your mat and do all those beautiful poses that I saw on Instagram in your courses, your mind is there too. You're combined. It's not only your body that is moving. So oh, thank you for saying that. I have been saying that for years when you know people have really, and I think unfortunately the yoga world has really done a disservice of like separating this is a spiritual practice this is a physical practice this is a mental practice and it's like no when you're serving one you are actually serving the the whole body they're all connected and yes so you like you said if you might have a goal but i think it's wonderful that you're kind of digging into that a little bit more like why is it that you want to lose weight or what is really behind this could it be that you're not sleeping well? Could it be that you're not in a fulfilling relationship? There's a lot of reasons we might be, you know, overweight or feeling sluggish or not active that don't necessarily have to do with the body. And to not address the other things, um, you're not actually going to be as successful because the people that I think are most successful at taking care of themselves really honor the fact that it is all of these all of these elements, all the elements of wellness that make us better humans have more energy. Like everybody wants more energy. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. And you, it's not just moving a lot or running five miles or burning calories or whatever. It is, it's the practice that you bring into your life, the choices you make for your food, the way you behave, how much you're sleeping, you know, how fulfilled you are in your job. It's so much more. So I, this course sounds amazing. So if people were interested in joining the course, is it an ongoing thing or do you have a start time and a stop time or is it kind of always available? Yeah, first of all, you said it so beautifully. That was great. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. And yeah, secondly, the course is ongoing. So they can always join and they can always, uh, yeah, start I'm personally very Googleable, so if people Google Pishi Izadi, um, P I S C H Y, and Izadi is I Z A D Y, and my practice is called uh, Dare to Live Coach, or my company, or I I am the Dare to Live Coach, so Dare to Live with the number two, so they will find all the info about my offers, my person, and also about that special course. Oh, I love that. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Well, as we're closing off, I could talk to you for, for hours. I, I can't Me wait too. to meet you. Me too. <laughs> um, I'd love to know, like, how'd you come up with that dare to live? I love that. Uh, there must have been something behind that. Yeah, absolutely. So it all started when I was starting to get to know myself as, I would say, a teenager. And I found out that I am a little bit different from my friends or my family or 
even boys, not, not only I'm not talking about girls, but I, I found out that I'm kind of courageous and I like to challenge myself. But I still didn't know about these things back then. I mean, I just, I just felt that everything that we talk about, like when we go skiing and like coming down the, the, the difficult side of the mountain or anything, I was the only one who, who always said, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. And everybody was like, no, let's not and stuff like that. So then I became older. And I observed that I actually want to go and do everything that I'm afraid of. Like I was really afraid of diving, scuba diving, being underwater. So as soon as I found out, I went and signed up for the course. And I was, I can't even tell you, I was furious. Like many people just, just, you know, jump under. I can swim. That's not the point. But being under the water with a tank, it was so scary for me. But I'm like, okay, I am going to do it. Or I'm afraid of heights. I can tell you many, many examples. So I would say I finally understood that I'm a challenge seeker and I want to overcome my fears. So when oftentimes I say I'm fearless, but that does not mean I don't have fears. It just means that I deal with my fears different. I have the same amount of fears like anyone else, maybe even more due to my past, you know, but I just like to, I see fears on a list. It's like a list for me. And I just want to, you know, take this list and say, overcome, overcome, overcome this one, overcome that one. So, and at some point when I wanted to do my business, I thought, okay, that's, that's the name for me, Dare to Live. And again, I really want to just emphasize on this because sometimes when I tell people, let's do this or that, they say, oh, I'm not like you. I'm not fearless. I am not fearless again. I just want to conquer my fears. Mm, I love that. And, right, and that's a practice right there. You can choose to go right you know, into them despite the fact that you have those fears. And, and, and that's actually what, what grows you and what strengthens and fortifies your soul and your spirit and your self-confidence and, and just belief. That's wonderful. I love that story. I'm glad I asked. So everybody go look up Dare to Live. And I think that's um, a wonderful closing for us. Thank you so much for joining me today, Pishy. It was such a treat to have you and, and learn your story. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me here. It was awesome to talk to you. And I always look up your courses and I can always learn from you. Thank you. Well, we'll have to do that in person someday. So thank you. And to everyone that's listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. 